Welcome. We are going to start because we have lots to try to do. Just so you know, on the Wellspring and Build side of things, and by the way, this is Wellspring on this side, and this is just kidding, it's not. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. This is not a, a um, first century Jewish synagogue uh, to worry about, but that's, that is what they did. Um, so you, as married couples, you can be really thankful that we don't live back then. Um, we have so much today that we want to try to cover with you on both sides for Wellspring and Build. You're just going to feel like this is a fire hose, and that's okay. Just let it drip all over you. Leave as much of it here as you can. Just take the rest of it home with you in your car. And in the weeks to come, in the meetings to come, we'll help you uh, get the feel for what's happening here. If you're a repeat timer, you're yawning right now going, I know. If this is your first time, you have no idea what you're about to step into. And it's absolutely wonderful. We're really glad that you're here. I'm Scott Maxwell. I'm one of the uh, elders at Grace Bible Church. And um, we have a, a wonderful year planned for you with Build and Wellspring. Your lady leaders are Dina Eiserman and Janet Yates. Dina, are you, you, I see you. Is Janet in here yet? Hi, Janet. You're both right there. So if you're a lady and you need some assistance, those two ladies can help you out. Um, Matt Kelso, is he, he's still at the front. He's wondering right now, he can hear his name being said. Matt, wave to us from the front, can you? There he is, I see him. Matt Kelso and I are, are trying everything we can to keep you men under control, uh, so you can just pray for us. But let's, let's do this. Um, we are combined today only for this meeting. From now on, ladies, you'll meet in the back room where you're over here. And men uh, from in the future meetings will be over in the um, larger classroom on the other side where the Wellspring used to meet. Uh, if you were in build last year, we met a little bit further down the hall, guys, in a smaller room. We're not in that one. We're in the larger room at the front, but we'll guide you next week. So the biggest change comes for the guys. Next week, you won't come in the church and come to the left to this way. Next week, you'll go down the next generation ministry side, the children's ministry side, okay? And we'll be positioned to guide you and help you out, okay? Um, so we're just combined today because we wanna just go over the, the same message together, which is the, the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. Uh, house rules are, there are no house rules. Um, so if you need to get up, would like to get up, if your coffee runs out, if you need another muffin, just make your way on up and out towards the back and help yourself come in and out as you need. Um, if you see somebody getting up and making their way out and you want to yell, hey, get me a muffin, you can do that. There are no house rules. What do you do at home? Okay, this is, this is your home this morning. All right. What we want to talk about together today is how Build and Wellspring fit into the larger, bigger picture of Grace Bible Church. That's what this message is all about. It's really helpful um, to, for you to know whatever ministry you are within, uh, within Grace Bible Church, to know how it connects back to the whole church, uh, because this is a part that is designed to do its part that the corporate gathering together on a Sunday cannot achieve. And the corporate gathering on Sunday doesn't substitute for this. They both hold their unique place, and so we're just trying to help you understand where this fits in the bigger picture. So to do that, let's pray, and then we'll dig in, okay? Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we 
wake up and as we fellowship together that we would um, put your Bible right out in front of us and let your truth speak to us about who you are and what you've called us to be and do in Christ um, until he comes back. Lord, would you open our eyes, soften our hearts, make us teachable in Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you do not have one of the um, handouts to be able to take notes on, I know that Ben in the back, he's got a green shirt on. He's got a few left for the guys if you do not have one. Women, I don't know if if you have any extras or not. But um, let's go ahead and take that sheet out. It should just say the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. And we want to talk about that this morning. You know this, but if you aim at nothing in your life, you will, you, you can't, plan on hitting the right target or goal of life. Um, Lee Iacocca was the, the head of Chrysler a long time ago. He brought them out of the hole in the ground they were in, and he said, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. And if you aim at nothing, you can't certainly hit the right target. And if you aim at the wrong target in your life, you can't expect to hit the right target then either, right? Your only hope at hitting the right target is first to know what it is, And then to aim at it and and pursue it with all your might and all your strength. And as a church, we don't want to aim at nothing, obviously. And we certainly don't want to aim at the wrong target um, as a church body. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to come up with a way to put flesh on the right target so that we can direct all of our energies toward it. And we need to strive towards this goal, not with our own strength, because we'll certainly fail if we do that, but we must rely on God's word and we must rely on his spirit's strength within us to hit the target that he has set up for us. But not only do we need to know, have our Bibles open and have God's spirit helping us, we also need to abandon some things so that we can hit the right target, because there are some things that can trip you up along the way. So in in aiming for the right target, we want to abandon the wisdom of the godless culture that we live in. That wisdom will offer us no help in hitting the target that God has set up for us. We want to even abandon business trends that work for corporations, but say nothing about how men and women and brothers and sisters in Christ live together and put their lives together uh, to the glory of God. And we also want to really just throw away all of the trendy trends that just keep coming around and around and around again in evangelicalism. Uh, Those things are not going to help us hit the target. So the vision and purpose statement for Grace Bible Church, it kind of functions as a a fleshy target for us to hit at. It, it, It makes something that is, it simplifies what is very deep and important in this book, and it makes it a little bit more simplified, memorable, Um, so that we can know what we're aiming at. Um, And all we really need is our Bibles in front of us. The Bible alone tells us what the target is. It directs us step by step as a church. Um, So what is this statement, this vision and purpose? It's one way to distill or summarize what the Bible says in its entirety. Um, Now listen, whenever you try to summarize something, you leave important information out. So does this vision and purpose statement say everything that is in this book? No, it can't. Does it leave some really important stuff out? Yeah, it does, unfortunately. But um, this is a way for us just to try to make it more accessible and memorable. So let me just read it to you at the top. You see a big kind of bold statement in the middle. That's the main heart of it all. A biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ, okay? 
And then connected with the biblical vision part is a, is a triad or a, the Trinity. It's really our God, right? The God of glory, the Christ of the cross, and the Holy Spirit who brings transformation of life. Uh, that's connected with the biblical vision part. Connected with the gospel purpose underneath that is a threefold activity, drawing in, building up, and sending out. If you notice um, what's underlined in that main part of biblical vision, we begin broadly. You see the word Bible in that, right? Bible vision, a biblical vision. Uh, and then it narrows down into the gospel or a gospel purpose or a gospel mission of Jesus Christ as defined by the gospel of Jesus. So it's important to understand the difference between the Bible and the gospel. What is this I'm holding up? Is it the Bible or is it the gospel? It's the Bible. But what is inside this Bible? What is the crown jewel in this Bible? It is the gospel. They are not at odds with one another. They do not compete against one another. And one does not replace the other. They complement each other. But we want to start first by setting our sights on what the Bible says from front to back. And then we want to narrow ourselves down to a gospel purpose in Jesus Christ. Okay, does that make sense? So notice both of those uh, are in a triad form, right? I pointed that out to you. Um, the vision part focuses on a person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the purpose then focuses on a threefold action or activity, a gospel activity, drawing in, building up, and sending out. And, and I love this about our, our uh, vision statement. First, what we get to do is we focus our sights on a person. That's the most important thing, and that is one of the things that Build and Wellspring are going to help you with the most this year is that we're gonna open our Bibles and we're gonna look for a person and we're not looking for ourselves primarily. We're first and foremost looking for the God of the Bible. That's what we need. He is who we need the most, uh, more than anything else. And so we wanna start there and after gazing upon him in worship with our Bibles open, now then we are ready to get to work. But not until we've looked at the one whom the Bible reveals. Does this make sense? So let's take a look at each one of these. Let's start number one with a biblical vision of God. What do we mean by the word vision in that phrase, a biblical vision of God? Uh, we purposefully chose a word from the sight family of words. By vision, we mean that we want to see the God of the Bible with the eyes of our hearts and our minds. That sight of him, it comes only through um, what the scriptures display for us or reveal to us about him, Okay. In other words, it's a biblical vision of God. It's a, a vision of God that the Bible directs us to see. We do not see God. We do not have a vision of him from any other source, okay? We are Grace Bible Church. We're not Grace Imagination Church. We're not Grace Good Book Church. We are Grace Bible Church, and we have the Bible as what we want to see God by, we see God by the scriptures, we see him in those scriptures, and we see him there only. We do not dream about what we might like him to be. We don't try to imagine what we think he should be like. We don't turn to any other book. We want to see him by the Bible, in the Bible. And what do these scriptures set our eyes on concerning God? Well, one way to summarize that grand revelation of God that this book is, is in this triad. The glory of God in the cross of Christ for the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit. The God who is a God of glory, the Son who is the Son who went to the cross, and the Spirit who 
uh, transforms our lives. Um, so that's what we want to do. Let's start first with the glory of God, the glory of God. The word glory in your Bible is uh, always defined by its context. It can have different meanings in different contexts. What we're referring to here is when the word glory means something of weight or weightiness, heaviness. In other words, it's overwhelming. It's impressive. It has a splendor to it that is just overwhelming to the senses. In regards to God, in Scripture, God appears to communicate or manifest his weightiness, his glory, oftentimes in, con- in, in connection with radiant, brilliant light. You ever read those passages in the Old Testament when God is just beaming forth before Moses? And there's a sense in which God's glory is that which he uses to, at special moments in the Bible, to reveal himself to man in such a way that the man can take God in and still survive. You can write down John 1.18. John there says, no one has seen God at any time. So how many people have seen God? Nobody. In his fullness. Turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33.20, we'll kind of start in that part of our Bible. God himself, Yahweh himself said to Moses in Exodus 33.20, he said, no man can see me and live. And by that he means look, look me on full in the face. So no man has seen God at any time in his fullness because that man would be dead. But what God does with his glory is at times he will allow the overwhelmingness, the the impressiveness in in a radiant splendor, a brilliant light to to be taken in by the man. He is overwhelmed by it. He oftentimes, as you notice in scripture, falls to the ground as if the dead man and has to be revived so that he can continue to take in what God is trying to reveal of himself. Moses was dropped to his knees by the glory of God. He came down the mountain and people were afraid of him. Why? Because his face was glowing. It was reflecting that radiant impressiveness and splendor of God. Now, let's, let me give you a couple of uh, pairings from the Old Testament to the New Testament to show you how your Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament holds on to the glory of God, okay? Write down these two if they're not already in your notes. Write down Exodus thirty three eighteen. And Luke 9, 28 to 36. In Exodus 33, Moses is on a mountain before the glory of God. He has just brought Israel out from Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. He's now up on a mountain. And he is on a mountain before the glory of God. In Luke chapter 9, Moses is on a mountain. And the glory of God is radiating forth from the face and the person and the being of Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. Your Old Testament, your Older Testament, and your Newer Testament paired up together, showing that theme from one end of the Bible to the next. Here's another pairing for you. Write down Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. Isaiah 6, 1 to 7, and John 12, 37 to to 41. John 12, 37 to 41. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the glory of Yahweh in a vision in the temple, And John tells us in John chapter 12 that Isaiah saw the glory of whom? 
Jesus, the Messiah, in that vision. So from your Older Testament to the Newer Testament, the glory of God is a central theme in your Bible. And so we want to set our sights, the eyes of our hearts and minds, on that. And what difference is that supposed to make in your daily life? Um, it, It should be this. Don't rush to action at the expense of adoration. Don't start thinking, what do I need to do for God today? What does God want me to do today? Before you get there, just adore God. Don't rush to try to go out and glorify him by skipping over what is glorious about him in Scripture. So therefore, Start your day, begin your day, and all throughout your day, whenever you can, position yourself before the Bible to first just drink in the glory of God. Drink in what is impressive about him. Ask yourself, whatever text you have open, it doesn't matter that day if you read 10 words or if in your Bible reading you read 10 chapters. Wherever you're at, Ask yourself, what is impressive about God in this passage? What is overwhelming about his character and his being and his nature here? Linger there in worship. Just talk to him. Say back to him what his word reveals to you about him. Admire him. Adore him. Worship him. Drink that glory of God in So how do you go about glorifying God with your life if you don't first come and just see what is glorious about him? Our cry each day needs to be very similar to Moses' cry on the mountain in Exodus 33. What did he cry out before Yahweh? Show me your glory. Well, we say the same thing with our Bibles open. We, we, we wipe the sleep out of our eyes. We take a sip of coffee and we open our Bibles and we say, God, show me your glory. Show me your impressiveness. Show me who you are. I need, my soul needs that more than I need anything else today. That's where we begin. We position ourselves to see the glory of God. And then our, how well prepared are you then to want to go out and glorify God with your life? So open your Bible each day with a cry of desperation, with a a pleading to God for him to show you his glory. You'll be set then, positioned to glorify God in your life. Secondly, what did the scriptures set our eyes on? They set our eyes on and they prepare our eyes to look at the most shocking event ever recorded in the pages of scripture, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, number two. The Bible sets our eyes on the cross of Christ. Uh, Let me tell you about how Christ's death at the cross is related to God's impressiveness, his weightiness, his splendor. The weightiness of God and the impressiveness of God, the radiant brilliance of God in Scripture is inseparably tied to the shed blood of an innocent substitute. Let me remind you what the, how the early pages of your Bible uh, work themselves out. In the Old Testament, God in all of his glory, in all of his brilliance and radiant glory was enveloping the mountain, Mount Sinai. He was shaking and quaking that mountain. That mountain was trembling under the cloud and under the light and the brilliance of God with Moses. The nation of Israel was down at the bottom and they were told, stay away from the mountain. Don't even let the the livestock go up near to it or they will die. This mountain is just trembling under the massive, weighty impressiveness of God. And then on that mountain, 
God prescribed to Moses. He said, I want you to go down and I want you to make me a tent. And I want you to put my tent and surround it with all of your tents. I want to live among you. And God said he is going to put his massive, impressive, overwhelming radiance, that presence of him into that tent, the the very presence that's causing a mountain to tremble. He's going to put it inside a tent. And in that tent, worshipers will come to him, but they can only come to him by the blood of an innocent sacrifice. You see, God fused his glory with the blood of an innocent substitute for worship. Look at Exodus 40. I'm going to take you there for a moment. I want you to see this. I want you to see how Exodus ends and Leviticus begins. Look at Exodus 40, verse 34. They go down from the mountain, Moses does. He gives out the, 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 the instructions for the tent. They gather all the supplies. They make the tent. And it says in Exodus 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Yahweh filled the, the, the tabernacle. That's the tent. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled their tabernacle. And you know the story, whenever that cloud got up and left the tent, they knew that it was time to set out. And as long as that cloud stayed of God's presence, that weightiness kind of hanging on the tent, as it stayed, they just stayed as long as they needed to. Now look how Leviticus begins. Take out the title Leviticus and just, you're just keep reading. Then, next, Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent. And he said, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man brings an offering to Yahweh, whenever you come to worship me, drop down to verse four. You bring your offering, you bring your animal. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. So the worshiper would bring the animal, he would put his hands on the head, and the, 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 the priest would slit the throat and drain the blood out, and the animal would die in front of his presence, in his hands. And it was a visible reminder that, oh my goodness, a life, this, my sin cost a life, an innocent life. Look at the blood. And God's overwhelming, radiant press impressiveness is all over this tent, and that one is worshiping that Yahweh by the, and through that blood. Now, Exodus 40 and Leviticus are not the revelational climax of your Bible in regards to this, are they? Oh, but man, do they set you up big time in the best way possible for the revelational climax, which is when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sheds his innocent blood on the cross for those who worship God. He is our only help, our only hope. The New Testament is full of texts about his glory. You can write down 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 to 7. I wish we had time to stop at each one of these, but we would be here until tomorrow morning. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about his bloody sacrifice. This means if these two things are fused together, it means that you can't talk about the glory of God for very long without inevitably getting to the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You can't talk about the glory of God for long without getting to forgiveness of sin through his blood. You can't talk about the glory of God without getting to the putting away of our sin from the Holy Father's sight through the substitutionary death of Jesus at the cross. A key theological phrase that will become increasingly precious to you, I hope, is penal substitutionary atonement. Those three words are very important words. Listen, 
Uh, electricians have their own language, their own trade language. Uh, construction guys have their own. Uh, teachers have their own language. Computer techs and geeks have their own language. And so do we. And we make no apology for using words like substitutionary atonement. Don't be ashamed of stuff like that. It's our, these are our words. What does penal mean? It stands for penalty. There's a penalty that must be paid because we have sinned. We, we've committed treason against God. Substitutionary. That penalty can only be paid not by me, not by you, but by a substitute who sheds his blood in our place so that we can have our sins before God atoned for. We can have our guilt taken away from the presence of God. We can have the wrath of God satisfied against us in Jesus' death. We can be reconciled to him through the blood of Christ. That's atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. That's what you think of when you think of Jesus dying in your place. A penalty paid by my substitute to atone for my sins. What difference does that make in your daily living? Oh my goodness, same thing as the glory of God. You come to your Bible to drink that in first. Why would we rush out and do anything else before doing that? Why wouldn't we throughout the day try to reset our compass, our course back to this throughout our day? Why would we not want to close our eyes thinking and remembering and praying these things? Drinking in the substitutionary death of Jesus at the cross. Write down Galatians 6, 14 and 15. Here's what Paul said. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, how, how is it that you can boast in Jesus Christ if you don't come and drink that in about him at the cross? It's difficult to boast in one that you haven't set your mind towards, right? That's how you prepare to boast in him. That's how you make yourself ready to boast in him at any point throughout your day. Our minds need to be so full of this substitutionary death of Jesus in our place that, that our minds leak it, our mouths leak it. This is our primary counsel to ourselves when we sin as a believer. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ and you sin? What do you tell yourself? Uh, a penalty paid by my substitute to atone for my sin. When you do something really well, and it was, it was amazing, and you can't even believe that God even enabled you to do something so great, what do you tell yourself? I had a penalty that needed to be paid by a substitute to atone for my sin. This is all of him. What do you tell your child? What do you tell your spouse? What do you tell your parents? What do you tell your coworker when they are overwhelmed? What do you tell the, your, your friend in your small group who is overwhelmed by their guilt from their sin again that just keeps clobbering them? What do you tell them? Penalty paid by an innocent substitute, Jesus, to atone for your sin. When you get impressed with your own righteousness, what do you tell yourself? I still had a penalty that had to be paid by an innocent substitute to atone for my sin. This is what you reset your life to over and over and over. It is the glory of God in this bloody death of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to set our sights on as a church. Thirdly, we need to set our sights on the transformation of life by the Spirit. Do you know what the Bible says about and lays out as the Holy Spirit's primary work? What the Bible says, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about the new birth, to cause us to be born again. And then 
to usher us into a new life. That's what the Bible lays out as the primary work of the Holy Spirit, to cause us to be born again and then to usher us into a new life that is empowered by him. Not that, that, that is not lived out in our own strength, but that is empowered by him. The Holy Spirit does that by taking that substitutionary work of Christ at the cross and apply it to the one, applying it to the one who, whom he is saving. Listen, what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago has to somehow connect with my life. It must broadside me in my grave and bring me out of the grave. And for my case, that happened in February of 1985. 2,000 years ago, I wasn't saved. 2,000 years ago, everything that I needed to be saved was achieved for me. And the divine appointment that God and his spirit had with me in February of 85, uh, you have something similar for you if you are a believer. It must be applied to your life and the spirit of God is the one who goes into the grave and makes you alive again with that work of Christ for you. He adopts us into God, Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. That's how he adopts us. The Holy Spirit then seals the believer, Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14. He becomes the pledge, the guarantee, the down payment of our inheritance. He says, you have an inheritance, and just so you know that you've got something coming that is beyond description, I'm gonna guarantee it with my very presence in your life. I am the guarantee. That means the Holy Spirit is powerfully preserving us and reserving us for heaven in which we, when we'll finally be freed from our sin to worship Jesus. But in the meantime, right now, what is the Spirit of God doing in, in this new life that he has brought to us? Well, he is powerfully enabling us to fight against indwelling sin, that residual sin that just keeps hanging on that won't go away. And all of this indescribable work of the Holy Spirit brings about an amazing transformation of life to us, okay? His new birth that he accomplishes for us, it ushers us into new life. New life which is marked by overcoming sin on a daily basis. Uh, here's a couple of verses to write down if it's not already in your notes. John 3, 1 to 8, Jesus telling Nicodemus that he must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. John 3, 1 to 8, and Titus 3, 5 to 7. Titus 3, 5 to 7. Go to Romans chapter 8. Let me show you one example of the Spirit at work in our lives. Look at Romans 8, verse 13. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. That's an unbeliever. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the believer. How do you put to death the deeds of the body? Not by church, not by friends, not by believing spouse, not by believing children, not by good books, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who helps you, enables you to be able to put to death the deeds of the body. All those other things may be very good and helpful, um, but they are not the power of God in our lives. What difference does this make for you on a daily basis? Well, just like the prior two focal points, 
You need to daily position yourself to come before this member of the Godhead too in scripture and say, I need you. I need you for this. Do you wanna know what it means to walk by the spirit? It means to walk in holiness of life, learning how to put off sin and put on righteousness, uh, living out righteous deeds. And you need him for that and you cry out to him. You plead for his help. I need you. If you're a parent, you, you understand how precious it is how precious it is when your child says, mommy, I need you. Daddy, I need you. Will, will you help me? You, you love it when that happens, don't you? This is what we need to cry out with our Bibles open for the spirit of God to come. Do you want fullness of the spirit in your life? You want him, him for that. That's what you want him for. That's what you need him for. Resolve with your Bible open and in prayer to yield yourself to the spirit for sanctification. His primary purpose was to convert you, to adopt you, to seal you for heaven. And right now, his primary uh, ministry in your life is to empower you to, uh, to become more and more transformed into the image of Christ by his strength. So plead for him to strengthen you, to yield to his sanctifying work in your life. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So, Focusing on this triune God of the Bible, God the Father, the God of glory, the, the Christ of the cross, the spirit of transformation, that certainly will fuel your worship of God. But it also does something else really important. You can't focus on the three members of the Godhead and also at the same time not understand what biblical salvation is. If you look at God in scripture, you will understand what biblical salvation is because that's what they're about, saving sinners. So you want to look at the God of overwhelming, radiant glory who crucified his son as an innocent substitute for forgiveness of sins and the spirit of God who relentlessly guides you into a transformed life by his power. Do you worship that God? If you do, your life will change. It must change. That God does not apply all of his triune work and power to a sinner and that sinner go, eh, just doesn't. The life must change. So if your life is not progressively, steadily changing, this is the place to come back to. Who, who's the God of the Bible? I need to come back to him. Your life may not be a radical explosion transformation that takes place in an instant. It probably won't be. Most likely, it's just gonna be a long marathon. But there has to be continual progression in transformation of life more and more to the image of Jesus. And if it's not, the place to start is to come back to the God of the Bible and look at him, Okay. So there's the first half of our church's vision and purpose statement. We started as broad as the Bible. Now, let's ask ourselves about the purpose. Number two, our gospel purpose in Christ. What do we mean by gospel purpose? Well, we're, we are referring to Jesus' gospel mission. As, as you read through your Bible, you're gonna see that God at different, per, had di at different times with different people had different purposes throughout his redemptive plan. Noah was given by God a purpose. His purpose was to build an ark and then get all the living things and pairs into it in his family, right? Uh, Moses, um, and by the way, that's not your purpose. 
But boy, is it profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, right? Moses was given a purpose by God. He was supposed to go into Egypt and help in the deliverance of his people out of Egypt to go through a body of water and out into the desert, okay? That's not your purpose. But boy, is it profitable. David was given a purpose by God. It was to leave the sheepfold and to go and become the king of Israel and carry out the righteous justice of God from his throne in Jerusalem. And that is not your purpose. But boy, is it profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Which purpose in the Bible do you live under and that you are obligated to? You're not obligated to build an ark. That's good news, okay? But you are obligated to live under Christ's purpose in his gospel mission in the New Testament. Don't miss this. Being a Christian is not about God yielding himself to the purposes that you want. But it is you dying to what you want to live for his purpose in Christ. I'm sure Noah had to give up the things that he was doing so that for 120 years he could build an ark. I'm sure Moses had to give up the things that he was interested in in the wilderness to go do what God called him to do. And I'm sure David had to give up his interest in sheep to be able to um, do what God called him to do. And you must die to your own purposes so that you can, with undistracted devotion, take up Jesus' gospel purpose for your life. As we study the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, it appears that he gave to his disciples three overlapping um, activities, drawing in, building up, and sending out. Let's take a look at each one of those, drawing in. Jesus had something to say about what it means to be drawn into God. Let's take a look at some of these. Go to John chapter 6. I want you to see this, John 6, verse 44, we'll let the Bible tell us what, how this drawing in takes place, John 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So what's the only way that a man can come to the Father, to Jesus? If the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look over at verse 65 of the same chapter. And Jesus was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Now notice how Luke says it in Acts chapter 13. Turn to Acts chapter 13. This is Paul's first missionary journey. He is in Pisidian Antioch. He is speaking to the Jews in the temple. It is now the next Sabbath. They've come back to hear him. The Jews have begun to reject him. And Paul has turned to the Gentiles. And in Acts 13, verse 48, um, when the Gentiles hear that uh, the message of Paul and the gospel is coming to them, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. How many believed? Every single one appointed for eternal life believed. In other words, what the New Testament makes immensely clear is that in the gospel mission of Jesus, we preach. We have to preach. 
the gospel. We call sinners to repentance and faith in the gospel, but sinners are ultimately and finally drawn in to a saving relationship with Christ because of God's sovereign love and grace. That is the work before us, under us, with us, in us, beyond us, after us that takes place when a sinner is saved. So what is important for us to remember as we go about carrying out this gospel purpose that we are obligated to participate in? It's this, that drawing in is ultimately salvation drawing in. If I could take those three words and make one new one, it's salvation drawing in. That's what it is. That God does, although we have an amazing privilege to be able to participate with him in that by the preaching of the gospel. And it's also very important to note carefully that Jesus Christ crucified is God's powerful object of attraction as he savingly draws in. So what do we preach? We have to preach that which God has infused his power in. Write down 1 Corinthians 1.18. The gospel of, of Jesus is foolishness to those who do not believe, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's what we lift up, is the power of God in the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the only power there is for salvation. Jesus said in John 12, verses 32 to 33, that when he is lifted up, he will draw men to himself, meaning lifted up in the cross, in his death in the cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except one thing. What was it? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that's where the power of God is. So we have this amazing privilege to participate in. We just lift that message up. We say that to everybody who will listen. But God is the one who in his sovereignty uses that. That's his power to draw the sinner into a saving relationship with him. Drawing in is therefore not primarily about us developing ministry programs in which we draw in attenders. You understand? If we think that gaining attenders, having our chairs filled, if we think that's the goal, we haven't pushed ourselves far enough in the gospel purpose that Jesus has for us yet. The drawing in that we're aiming for in Jesus' gospel purpose is the drawing in where God himself saves a sinner to Christ through faith in the preaching of the gospel. And we should not be satisfied until we see that drawing in take place in the lives of those around us. We should not be a church that is quickly or easily satisfied and becomes giddy with new attenders. When are we most satisfied? When God savingly draws sinners into Christ through repentance and faith in Christ, that is what we should labor intensely for. Listen, salvation growth is better than mere numerical growth. Or to put it another way, numerical growth only becomes significant if it's what? Salvation growth. That's what we want. And what difference does this make on a daily basis? Well, listen, as you share the gospel with your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, whoever, your spouse, your, 
your parents, remember that they are all dead in their sins and they need a drawing power out of a grave that is bigger and better than any power you possess. You cannot make the spiritually dead alive, but you know what the power of God is that can make a dead one alive. It is the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need a power beyond your friendship. Your friendship is so important. And they need a power beyond your wisdom. Oh, you need to be wise about how you present it. They need a power beyond your logic. Listen, you gather up all the logic and, that you have and you employ it towards making a defense of the gospel, but it's not enough to make the dead alive. You need to pray. You need to pray like Paul did. I, I, he prayed for his kinsmen in the flesh, his fellow Jews. He wished that even he could be, he'd have his salvation taken away so that they could be saved. So that means you must put before dead sinners only that which has the power to achieve their new life, and that is the gospel. That's what draws them in to a saving relationship with God. Remember this about yourself. If you are a believer, you weren't ultimately and finally converted or savingly drawn into Christ because of another person's friendship. That was important, I'm sure. But it wasn't the power of God for your salvation. You weren't drawn in to Christ through church attendance. That might have been really important for you, but it is not the power of God for salvation. They had their place. What had power to convert you, Christian? God and God alone in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sovereignly saved you through his son's death in your place. He drew you out of the grave into new life in his son. So give the proper weight to really good things like friendship, church attendance, Bible study attendance, whatever. Give, give proper weight to those things, but don't overweight them. Don't, don't pretend that they're more important than they are. Daily pray for the lost around you. Press for them to be savingly drawn in. Don't let them be content merely with attending church. It's great when you have an unbelieving friend who starts to come to church with you. It's fantastic. It is great. And you should rejoice when that happens. But it'll be nothing compared to the kind of rejoicing you'll do when they repent and believe, right? So hold everything in its proper place. Don't let them be content. Some, some unbelievers draw contentment out of, well, I just kind of hang out with Christians and they, that kind of makes them feel better. It doesn't, shouldn't make them feel better. Not yet. This is called parenting, by the way. Is it not, parents? It's gospel purpose. It's you, you live before these ones in your, in your home and you, you, what are you after? Comfort? When they just obey and do what you ask them to do? Oh, that is thinking way too small. What are you after as a parent? You wanna see them drawn into Christ. And you are very well aware, day after day, sometime by the hour, you have no power to achieve that. Oh, but you know where the power is. And you know who the power is. Number two, building up. It's important to understand how these three points work together, drawing in, building up, sending out. 
They overlap one another as gospel activities. They're complementary gospel activities with one another. There's, there is some degree of sequence, right? There's a logic to drawing in and then being built up and then being sent out. There's a logic to that. There's a sequence to that, but they are not strictly sequential. In other words, drawing in is not first grade, and when you're done with first grade, you go on to second grade, and you never have to do first grade again. Lord willing, you don't have to do first grade again. When you're done with second grade, you don't have to go on to third grade. Maybe for some of you, third grade was the best two years of your life. I don't know. <laughs> kindergarten, for sure. That's okay. Because who remembers kindergarten? If you did kindergarten twice, what difference does that make in your life now? See? You're all very well-functioning, normal people. Right? But drawing in and building up and sending out is not like that. In fact, some of the best building up that will ever take place in your own life is while you are being sent out with the gospel as he is drawing in sinners to himself. You will be built up by that in ways that you would have never imagined. See three things happening all at once. Once a lost sinner, though, is savingly drawn in by the gospel through faith alone and Christ alone, that believer needs to start being built up by the gospel. But building up in the New Testament takes place at two different levels. A personal individual being built, being built up and then a corporate building up. You individually are to be built up, but God is very, very, very concerned that the body of Christ be built up as well. The thing for you to think about is which one are you more aware of on a daily basis? You're going to, I mean, only you can, can function in, in helping yourself be built up. Your, your spouse can't build you up uh, and, um, and be the one that primarily does it. You have to yield yourself to the word of God and to the spirit of God and be built up in your life by the truth in the word of God. But you need to be aware that your life is to be connected to a body of people as well. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see this for the building up part. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He, Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Why? To the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see the emphasis on the corporate side of things? The body, the church, the local gathering? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, we all are looking at one man, Jesus Christ. We need to be built up corporately together in him as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children. Now watch this. Here's the opposite of unity. Tossed here, tossed there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. When you go home today, if you have a pool, take a bag of Cheetos and don't, don't do it, but just imagine it. Put the Cheetos in the pool and then tell your kids to start doing cannonballs in the pool. What are those Cheetos going to do? They're going to go everywhere and they're going to make your pool guy so mad. I just did a pitch for you, Jerry. Now you can come and clean it up. Travis, where are you guys at? There you are. Good. Um, so what is he saying here? What scatters? What, what takes the, the members of the body of Christ and scatters them? It's every wave, uh, um, wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's everything that is not the gospel and is not the Bible. That scatters us. That doesn't build us up. That breaks us down and separates us. 
but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom, and watch this, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And I wanna put this verse for you up on the screen. Here it is. This is uh, the, the New American Standard and I'm gonna show you this because I want you to see where you fit in and where the body fits in, okay? This is verse 16. Here's the main clause at the top. Here's the main idea. The whole body, dot, 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 skip all those Pauline words in the middle for just a moment, causes the growth of the body. Now that is so counterintuitive. Who would have thought that? God's design is that the whole body would actually cause the growth of the body. So all of us together are the ones who are helping the whole body grow. That's what he says. The first phrase that actually starts the verse is that this is from him. This is from whom? From him, Christ, who was just mentioned in verse 15. So whose idea is it that the whole body would cause the growth of the body? Whose idea is it? Is it the elders? Is it yours? It's Jesus' idea. This is how he determines the body grows. Well, how does that happen? Well, we have to be fitted and held together. How can a body grow if it's not fitted and held together? Well, how does that happen? Well, it's fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. The idea is by what every connection supplies. So one body part comes up against another body part. There's a connection and there's a supply there. Actually, the idea is there's a power supply there. You put the two things together, you put them together and there's a supply of power. That's then what fits and holds together and that's what causes the growth of the body. Well, how does that joint supply, that connection power happen? Well, that has to happen according to the proper working of each individual part. There you are, Christian. You must individually work according to what God intends for you to be. You must become built up yourself so that when you take your built up life that's working according to the way it's supposed to and another believer takes his built up life according to the way it's supposed to and you come together, there is a supply of power in that that fits and holds us together that causes the growth of the body. This is what the New Testament teaches about edification, about being built up. What is this for? It's, it's for the building up of itself. This is what builds us up. It's restating the main idea. In love. We're people that love each other. We love our Savior. This is what the New Testament teaches about being built up. What difference does this make every day? It should make a mind correction or readjustment, recalibration in your mind. How much of these two dimensions do you focus on each one? I have no doubt that you think about you. I, I think about me. That comes very naturally, unfortunately. Sanctified, though, under the Spirit, we, can, we, we need to take care of ourselves and make sure that we are being built up the way that we must be. But how connected is your life to the body of Christ? You're calling Grace Bible Church your home. How connected is your life to this people here? You need to give thought to that because that's what God has given thought to. This is from him. That's a good measurement to reveal how much you're personally investing in. If all of your effort is just to think, I just want to grow as a Christian, and corporate gathering 
putting your life together with other believers is negotiable, something's not calibrated right in your mind yet. Do you understand that? Many Christians only think of their personal responsibility to be built up without thinking about how the body of Christ that they are a part of should also be built up. Or many people just view the church as the place that's only going to help them personally or individually be built up. That's what this big thing exists for, is just to make me feel fulfilled. Yeah, sort of? No, better. Yes, we all put our lives together. You must grow and you must put your life together with others. What happens if you take two batteries, one that's charged and one that's not, and you put them together in a flashlight? Click, nothing. You can't be that one that's not charged. You've got to be the one that is growing and is being built up personally with the word of God, by the spirit of God, so that when you put your life together with somebody else, the light comes on. This is what we are. This is what we do together. The, 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 the exhortation to you this morning is not to focus less on your own personal building up. The emphasis is to focus more on the corporate building up. Put your life together with other believers in this church. Three overlapping activities in the gospel that we put our lives to, drawing in, building up. Let's talk lastly about sending out. Let me help you see the bigger picture. First, God himself has always been ascending God. God in the Old Testament was always ascending God. He sent Moses to carry out his plan for Israel. He sent Isaiah out after Isaiah saw God's glory in Isaiah 6. He sent Jeremiah out in Jeremiah chapter 1. He did the same thing with Ezekiel. He sent him out in Ezekiel 3. And God did the same with John the Baptist. He was sent in John 1 and in John 3. And, get this, Jesus Christ was sent by his sending father. Read through the Gospel of John and just look how many times Jesus said, I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who, what? sent me. So Jesus refers to himself over and over. Look in John 4 and 5. Those are the two chapters that you just get like this flurry of Jesus saying, him who sent me, him who sent me, him who sent me. That's the way Jesus portrayed himself to others. I am the one that the Father sent. Consider what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Write down John 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7. Jesus said, I will send to you the Spirit. Oh, so wait, let me get this. God in the Old Testament is ascending God. Jesus was sent by the Father, and Jesus now sends the Spirit. So the Father sent the Son, the Spirit sent, the Son sent the Spirit. Uh, this is just ascending Trinity, is it not? Okay, and then finally, that Jesus, the sent one, tells his 12, you are my apostles, meaning you are my sent ones, right? They were sent out. So how should you think of yourself? Well, I'm not a sent one. I can't, no. I, I'm not very good talking to people about the gospel. I just, right? No, can't do that. You are a sent one as well. A sending God and a sent Savior and a sent Holy Spirit who sent others to you to preach the gospel to you is sending you into the world with the gospel. 
He, he's not content to save you and say, you know what, I just want you to know you are the one exception that I've ever made. Everybody else is sent with the gospel, but you're not. He's never said that to the one that he saves. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Which of the 11 at that point live, are still alive uh, and will be when the end of the age comes? None of them. So who was he talking to? He was talking to them with implications for us, for all of his disciples who would live. What does Acts chapter 1, 8 say? You shall be my witnesses um, when you receive power to the remotest part of the earth. Did those men get to the remotest part of the earth? No. Who is he talking to? It's us. We are the ones who are sent out. So see yourself as sent by God first into your own household. Don't be so excited about going and doing, look, street evangelism is fantastic. There's all kinds of wonderful things you can go do, but if you do it at the expense of leapfrogging over your own household, that you're not seeing yourself as a sent one to your own children, to your own parents, to your own spouse, to to your own roommates or whatever, if you're not concerned about it there, there's a little bit of 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 a disconnect in your mind. See yourself first sent into your own household. And again, that's called parenting. It's called marriage in many cases, right? See yourself as sent into the places that God has already sovereignly put you, okay? Um, He has put you in, in places that the elders of this church could never, never better or best. Um, you see the same people at the same store uh, and your same street at the same place you work over and over and over and over and over and over and nobody here could ever um, program an outreach ministry that would even begin to touch that. Every morning when I'm out watering my pots and plants out in the front, the same guy rides the same bicycle, the same guy walks the two chihuahuas, the other guy comes running by with his German shepherd who chases the two chihuahuas. The same people, I see them all the time. Nobody could program that better than God already did. So what is the best evangelistic outreach sent one that you could take advantage of? It is be faithful where you already are. Be faithful where you already are. You don't have to look for something exciting and flashy and and where there's lots of other people doing. No, just be faithful where you are. And as you are doing that, as you are doing that, listen to me, go participate in other things too. Go do other things as well. Get creative. Go in pairs. Go downtown on Thursday night in, in Mill Avenue with the guys. Share the gospel. All right. We're out of time. I'm going to cut it off there. Um, where does, in your notes, you have one more page that says where and how to build and Wellspring fit into this. Here's all I'm going to say about that. Um, between your biblical vision, the glory of God, the cross of Jesus, and the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit, and, and over here, the drawing in, the building up, and the sending out, between those two things stands a discipleship ministry like Build and Wellspring. What they do is they, they help you to become disciplined in pursuing this God with your Bible open. That's what we're going to work on this year. That's what we're going to practice. That's what we're going to try to refine, become more disciplined with ourselves personally. And in so doing, we become better equipped to do drawing in and building up and sending out in this church and beyond the walls of this church where God has us, okay? So you are going to tackle some of those things next. Um, Dear Lord God, we love you. We thank you for 
this body that we get to be a part of and for the elders here who who are so careful with your word and who desire for all of us to be equipped by your word and to be in awe of who you are. We thank you for this chance to gather together and to encourage one another with this, with these truths and to help each other as we seek to live out a gospel life and so that we can be more equipped to go into our homes, to go into our neighborhoods, into our church and speak your truth to those who need to hear it, Lord. So thank you and help us to, even though we've heard so much this morning, help us to just calm our hearts and be ready to think about what's ahead of us and how we can be committed to that. In your precious son's name we pray, amen. So hopefully you guys saw your materials. If you asked for yours to be printed, they have your name. Ellie was so organized and she put your names on them. So if you grabbed one and you see someone else's name on it, <laughs> just be aware that you might need to go over there and find yours. Um, and also there's new contact sheets that she printed out because people have come and gone and things have changed a little bit. If you want to grab a new contact sheet, you can too, with, uh, with everyone's name and phone numbers and stuff and which group you're in. So anyway, with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. I'm Dina Iserman, and Janet Yates and I are, are humbly kind of taking charge of Wellspring this year. It's like there's been kind of a transition of leadership and over the years, and so I feel really humbled and honored to be able to stand up here because I believe in all of these truths. I'm not really comfortable up here, but this is where God put me, so <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> because I love you guys, and I love God's word, and I, I've seen how it's transformed my life, and I want you guys to have that benefit, too, so I want to be part of building you up this way. Um, with that said, you, we are, I think you kind of already know what a typical morning looks like. Today wasn't super typical because we're not going to start out with the men, but we're, we're going to do the same thing where you come and sign in at the table and get snacks and then come in here and find a seat. Um, but we are going to hope to start right at 7 in the morning just so we can honor our time. So come a little bit early if you want, and that's a good time to just introduce and meet other people that you're not in small group with, and it's a good time to be able to interact because we don't have a lot of time to do that for the rest of the morning. So be sure to take the time to do that. And then um, we're going to just come in here. We're going to have a few minutes of like announcements, and then we'll have someone, will either Janet or I, will go over the Wellspring Disciplines, which you'll find out what those are pretty soon here. And then we'll have some teaching time, which could be up to an hour, probably a little bit less. And then we will break up into our small discussion groups, which you'll see on your paper that I'll show you in a second. And so that, and then we'll be dismissed right at nine. I know the build guys are gonna be going till 9.15 this year. So if you've ridden with someone over there, um, we'll have a little, a little bit of flex time if we need it, 
but if nothing else, you'll have a little extra time for fellowship afterwards <laughs> while you wait for your ride. So, um, And then I would like to just take a few minutes because there are quite a few new ladies to the ministry. And so I wanted to go around the room, not to put you on the spot, but just to let people see your, hear your voice and see your face and attach your name to your face. <laughs> So if we could just go around the room and just tell us your first and last name, tell us how long you've been in Wellspring, and what part of town you live in. So if you don't mind standing, I know that's kind of awkward, <laughs> but anyway, I'm Dina Eiserman. I've been in Wellspring since the beginning, although I took a few years and just helped with the kids on Thursdays, but, and I live in North Tempe. So could you start, Jan? I'm Janet Yates, and I don't know how many years I've done Wellspring, so it's, I'm just going to say all of it minus um, three years. One year I did kids, two years I did town, and I live in Chandler.
Um, one thing I forgot to mention was about what it means to when we say we want you to be committed to Wellspring um, we mean that that is in as much as it depends on you because we know that life happens and you guys have families and there's things going on and so but it's it's something that needs to be a purposeful plan in your life it has to be a priority for you because you know how it is. If we don't plan for something in our life, it doesn't happen or it gets pushed aside easily. So sometimes that might look like putting all the dates on the calendar and looking at those when you're planning family stuff. And it doesn't always, like you don't always have weight <laughs> in those plans, but in as much as it depends on you. Okay, so think of that as you're planning things. And then it might mean getting to bed a little earlier on Friday nights or setting out your book and your Bible at the front door so you're not like looking in the dark for those things. Um, setting out your clothes ahead of time. Anything you can do to make it easier on yourself to get yourself here. Okay, so the idea is to be purposeful, right? Um, and because there's, the goal is to get what the Lord has for us to grow here. And so we, and we want to be equipped to grow as a church. Like Scott was saying, it's not really all about us. It's bigger. And so we want to have that in mind as we, you know, as it gets colder and it gets darker, it gets harder to get up. Honestly, it does. But if you have that bigger picture in your mind of what Scott just talked about, then that will help you be committed when it gets hard. So keep that in the forefront. Um, if you do miss, that's okay. We, we want you to come back. 
we do want you to try to listen online and we do want you to try to keep up with your homework if you can and it'd be nice if you could reach out to your discussion group leader and just let them know so that they can know where you are and they can we can pray for you if there's a need and you can we won't be worried about you because <laughs> we really will be um, so with that said you everyone hopefully got the notice that you need a notebook for this class and hopefully you got to print out everything but in I don't know if you have a slide thing in the front of your notebook if you do you could put this front sheet in there if you're new Oh, thank you, Alex. If you guys could pull out that front sheet, if you printed it out or if you have it in your notebook. And if you have a slider, just put it in there. If not, keep it in the front of your notebook somewhere because this, this will be helpful to you. Um, if you look at this picture, it, it, the ministry is called Wellspring because our verse theme verse is Proverbs 4.23, which says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So a wellspring is the head or source of a spring or river, and it signifies a continual flow. And when Proverbs 4.23 says the heart is the wellspring of life, it says that all flows from your heart. So that is, this is kind of a picture. I love this picture because it helps me remember that. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the inner man, and that's the total totality of who you are. We have the outer man, which is our physical parts, our hands, our mouth, our organs, but the inner man is the, um, that's where everything comes out of, and it's our motives, the source of our motives, our desires, our will, our intentions, our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our opinions, our priorities, our emotions are in there too. All of our actions, everything, that's who we are. Um, and everything in our life continually flows from and reveals our heart. So that's huge. And that's how God sees our heart. So we need to think about that. We need to think about what is going in this flow like you see the water flowing from one source to another source and in in that's part of our idea of wellspring also is that we are like in Titus 2 which we'll get teaching on that later we are rubbing up against each other and we are pouring into each other so we want what we are pouring into someone else to be from a good source which is God's word we want it to be something that is pure and true and grounded in God's word. Um, we want it to be gospel-centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we're not protecting our time in the word, which is what we'll be talking about, then we're not pouring good stuff into those around us and into ultimately our church body. So this is a big deal. <laughs> And so we're just really thankful that you guys are all here and willing to be committed to this journey. So anyway, you new people, you're in for a really good thing. <laughs> and it takes doing this over and over and over again. The people who have been here 
can tell you that the first year is not you're not going to understand it all it's not it it's going to be different it's going to change your life and your thinking a lot of you and it'll be something that takes repeating to really soak it up and get all of the all that God has for you in it so I just want to encourage you guys um, if you look at the back of the notebook which I don't know if you again if you don't have a little sleeve you might keep this somewhere in your notebook because we're going to go over these this purpose and we'll, and disciplines every week every time we meet um, you see there the purpose and Scott kind of talked about that how each ministry of Grace Bible Church is united under the big picture that we he talked about this morning so each ministry has its own purpose that the ministry leaders have written so we can all be in the same on the same thinking <laughs> we want to all be united under this so our purpose is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God so that they live gospel transformed lives thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose so again that is the women of grace bible church that means whoever you are if you're made if you've made this church your home whether you've been here for a week or two or whether you've been here for years this is you and you are here to equip and encourage each other to do something to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God and why do we do that because we want to live gospel transformed lives and that has an, a result it's to strengthen the church and its gospel purpose so that lines up with all everything that Scott was saying so that's why we wanted to start with this so you guys understand the foundation um, then we have three disciplines that help us to accomplish that, which is what you'll see next. So if you look at discipline one, it's the heart. And that is the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So we see there we must be shepherding our hearts to the word of God to get to the God of the word. Scott mentioned that too. And this is key. <coughs> Discipline one brings together two essential, inseparable aspects of shepherding our hearts. And you may have heard that phrase for the first time, and you may have heard it for a long time, but we want to help you understand what we mean when we say that, when we talk about that. Um, scripture describes it in a variety of ways. For example, and also, I forgot to mention, um, Allie printed out, or, or you may have printed out in the back of that outline that you used when Scott was talking. The last page has these disciplines written, so printed out so that you can write notes if you want to. So I don't know if you saw that. Just wanted to mention that you can be writing notes if you want to. Um, so anyway, in Hebrews 4:16 talks about drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace. It's that word, draw near. 
um, and of course our Savior who sits on that throne. Hebrews 7 and 10 both repeatedly talk about drawing near to God. And James 4, 8 tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, therefore, I'm not expecting guys to look these up, by the way, I'm just rattling them. <laughs> therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above there where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And then Hebrews 11, 6 talks about seeking God. Um, Hebrews 12, 2 talks about fixing our eyes on Jesus. So you get that idea. Our hearts need us to shepherd them. They, they are prone to naturally want to go their own way like sheep. And they need us to shepherd them toward God. So that's what we mean by shepherding our hearts. If, you, if that still confuses you, it's okay. Because we're going to be talking about this every time we meet. And a lot of the teaching will help solidify this in our minds. Um, so... Um, one thing I wanted to address along those lines is that there are many popular devotions claiming to be actual words of Jesus when they are actual words are not actual words from the Bible. So we need to be so careful to be in God's word, um, finding God, the God of the word. There's a, oftentimes we can get an idea that a person has drawn near to God because she gets a certain impression or she had a particular set of circumstances that God is speaking to her, but it's apart from the counsel of his word. So we have to be so careful to keep our um, worship belief through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And Scott did a really great job of saying what the gospel is. So that's really key. So if any of you have questions about what the gospel is, I'm not going to go through it again because I feel like Scott did a great job. But don't, don't be hesitant to ask someone or ask one of us um, if you're just wondering and you're not quite sure because that's really important to have that foundation. Um, then, I'm just looking for things I can skip because Scott already talked about them. Um, let's go ahead and go to, well, so to... To firm up D1, the, the heart, Wellspring, in Wellspring we're talking about being a woman who faithfully shepherds their hearts toward God through the word of God, being impacted by the gospel at a heart level, and then letting that impact every other area of our lives, starting with our homes, which comes to the next discipline. Um, you see there, D, discipline two is the home. It's the faithful woman, woman of God is concerned with those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. So we need to understand the spiritual influences that we have on our homes. We want to place a priority on spiritually influencing our households with our hearts for Christ. So it always starts with what we did in D1 
and that influences our home. We need to keep that as our focal point, like Scott was saying, um, until we've soaked on and savored the God of the word, we're not equipped to go and help anyone else. So, and the people in our homes are, or you know, whoever we are around that gets the most of our influence, we see them more than anyone else and they see us. And we are, we want to make it a priority to make sure to bring Christ and the gospel before them, to be an aroma of Christ, to make an impact there. Um, those of you who are taking Wellspring for the first time, you heard Scott say, don't leapfrog over that. And that just means we don't want to skip over those people in our homes or, or even like our aging parents or our neighbors or some, I mean, not our neighbors, but our family members that may not live in our home anymore. Or, you know, we don't want to skip over those who are our closest sphere of influence and then go out and do something in the body of Christ. We want to be focusing on those first and let, our, let that be our training ground, really, for sharing the gospel, for living out the things that we're learning as we soak in God's word, sharing before them who God has shown us to be, to ourselves. Okay, Did that, hopefully that makes sense. It's not just the season of life. It's, it's um, still all about our hearts. So D2 is the faithful woman of God concerned for those in her home and ministering to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. Um, and then we come to D3. And it's not that we have focused only on D1 and then we can forget about that and go on to discipline two or discipline three. We need to, they all overlap, just like Scott was saying about the drawing and building up, sending out, it all overlaps. So we, we, um, A lot of times, even when we are focusing on our homes or some kind of ministry, that drives us back to, I got to get back into the word and see what God says so I can tell them, you know, I have something true and pure and lovely to tell them when I'm working with them or helping them. So it all has to work together. Um, there needs to be a priority in our thinking when we're thinking about ministry too. So D3, the ministry is with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Um, when we're thinking about our priority, our thoughts need to be, I need to shepherd my heart, and I must not leapfrog over my household relationships while I care for other people in the body. Um, in some ways, the body of Christ needs us to be women who believe, or in the same way, the body of Christ needs us to be women who believe God's word and practice God's word in the shepherding of our hearts and in our homes then we are equipped to be fruitful in our ministry. And when we, when we talk about ministry, we need to understand that sometimes ministry 
includes specific tasks like setting up or front lines or NGM or, or vacuuming or whatever it is. Um, but ministry is really a mindset, a heart attitude of being eager and purposeful to live every aspect of life as a slave of Christ. Understanding that we're not our own. He purchased us and with his precious blood and we're not slaves to sin anymore. We belong to him. So this is really um, acting out joyfully what God has prepared us to do as we have soaked on him in his, in his word. So I hope you're seeing how all that fits together. But also, these disciplines aren't a magic formula. <laughs> They're not going to suddenly, if you practice them perfectly, make you into this godly woman that can do anything. <laughs> um, these disciplines are just what they say, disciplines, and no one can do them for you. They're disciplines that we are continuing to grow in all the time, and God is, by his grace, helping us to practice them more and more and more, and falling more and more in love with him, and he's getting bigger, and we are getting smaller as we soak on him and his word. So I just want to encourage you ladies to, to pray, to go before God, and to make Ask him to make you effective in ministering to the body and to those outside your body. All of us should set those, those um, disciplines before us and ask God to make us the women that he wants us to be to bring him glory. Um, we can't do this on our own. We need to help each other, and that's why we're all here together. And that's why we do small groups, so that we can encourage each other in a, um, a tighter circle. So I would just want to encourage you that we feel like this is going to happen best when you are here as often as you can be. And then there's just a few housekeeping things that I wanted to go over. If you printed out this table of contents, we're just going to look at that and hopefully this will help you know like what order things should be in your notebook, or also things that are available that you didn't really want to print out right away, but you know, you'll know that they're available online to access anytime you can. Um, the first four sheets are ones that you'll be looking at often, and that just has our, the schedule of the Wellspring and the dates, so you can put those in your calendar. Um, then the next sheet is the contact, the contact sheet with resources, how to get to the resources. If you have any problem with that, you should come and ask us or ask Allie because she's really good at writing down the directions, but sometimes, I don't know, if you're technically challenged, <laughs> you might just have questions and that's okay. Um, but it tells you, walks you through right there how to get on the church website and get the resources that you need. Um, they've made it really easy to go and find it. So, And then also on there is the snack sign-up. I don't know if any of you have worked with the church builder website that they have, um, but 
you'll be getting a message from that system. It'll just send you a message that either Allie or Rachel York will probably send out. And it'll have a link on there that just says view the link. It's like a green box. You click on that, it'll go to our dates and you can click on a box of a date if you want to bring a snack. Um, don't feel like you have to. And if you do sign up for one, the neat thing about this is that it sends you a message automatically to remind you, which is helpful. Although last year it reminded me and then the next day I forgot. So <laughs> <laughs> that can happen. <laughs> um, so you still have to write it down somewhere. <laughs> um, so anyway, if you have any questions about that, it has also Janet and my contact information. Don't hesitate to reach out to either of us or to your discussion group leader. We don't want you to feel like you're alone in this. And the next sheet is the contact sheet with your discussion group people. We just want to have you guys have ways to keep in touch with each other outside of our meeting times because we have two weeks between and that can seem like a long time if you're struggling with something or you're not sure about the homework or whatever so we, we want you to have those so you can reach out to people and, and stay connected um, there's also a one printed out there that has updated information if you guys want to grab that the next sheet is it has um, our cleanup procedures we just have found that it works best if we rotate each discussion group takes a week and takes stays after for five or ten minutes and helps clean up um, and Allie's put together this really great list of all the little tasks that are needed so if you just follow that, you won't have any trouble. <laughs> and if you and there will always be janitor. I just kind of checking and making sure things are get done. So don't worry if you aren't able to stay for some reason. It's okay. It'll get covered. But we're the the schedule is there just so we can all share the the task. Um, then the next section is called instructions and examples. These are things that you might want to print out to have handy because you will probably use them. Um, the prayer examples are is just a way to help you as we start because our, our number one assignment in Wellspring is getting into God's word. And so to help us do that, which we'll go over in a second, are the Bible reading plans. But if you as you are going into your time with God, these prayers, we've printed them out just because they will help you get started or even enhance your time to help your time be more focused on, as Scott was saying, looking at the glory of God and, and um, focusing your heart on that to start with. It makes a big difference in how you spend your time in God's word and not getting caught up in just checking off a box but really making it purposeful and intentional. So I would encourage you to just at least read through those prayers and they could help inform you and your thinking as you start to get in a habit of being in God's word if you haven't done that already. Um, the next page, which I would encourage you to read when you get home, I'm not going to read it right now, but it's 
talking about the Bible reading, um, home, reading and homework instructions. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about what is required in Wellspring. Um, sorry, I forgot I should be following my notes and not just going off of whatever I think. Um, okay. So, our desire and the desire of the elders is that we would all get into a routine of doing our Bible reading every day for the rest of our lives. So this is, we want to start a habit. Um, and we want to draw near to meet God prayerfully in his word and intentionally to care for our hearts. Um, we won't be able to do this if we don't have a plan. And regardless of how much we prayerfully choose to read in, in a year, like Scott was saying, the goal is to meet with God and to marvel at his character. So we have um, kind of spelled that out on this, on this page of Bible reading. But we've also given you, we'll skip the reading themes page and we'll just go right to the Bible reading plans. We've given you a lot of options for Bible reading plans. Um, if you're thinking, I really don't have time to do this, or if you have been reading your Bible for a while and then it's not going well and you're thinking, I don't have time to do this, it's not fitting in what I'm doing, it's okay to start a plan for a while and then switch it up or think about how can I do this better to make it more doable? Because it's not about checking off the box and getting everything done on the plan that you pick. It's about meeting with God and his word and learning how to like pick out those things that are seeing his glory or his character. And that's where the Bible reading themes might come in helpful. If you're, if you're starting to feel like this just isn't working, it's good to have this list of themes that you can start journaling, maybe, and think about, well, maybe if I just look for God's glory. Every time I read, if I see something of God's glory, I'm going to write it in a journal. That might be a helpful thing for you. So we've just provided this as a, as a tool. All of these Bible reading plans are really just tools for you to use. So don't, don't feel discouraged. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go through each one of them right now. I wish I could, but um, because they're all very different, and they're very unique for different stages in your life. Like right now I have more time because my kids are grown, and, and when my kids were small, it was very difficult, and I understand that. But there are ways that you can still get into God's word and still see him and be equipped in your heart, even if it's just small chunks. But just making that habit a priority is the key. Um, so, like we said, your, your number one assignment is to pick one of these plans 
and start doing it at least by October 1st. If you already have a plan in the, in the works and you've already been doing this, a lot of you have been doing this for years and doing it very well, keep going, keep doing that. Um, and you can be the one to help encourage others in your discussion group who, who are just doing this for the first time because it, that first year is difficult. You need encouragement to keep persevering. Um, but the more, the more you do read and make that a habit, the more you're hungry for, for what you get there, for being able to worship God that way. Um, and then on the, on the table of contents, you have in the Bible a section, and these are all just tools for you to use. They, are, they came out of um, like the heart categories came out of Scott Maxwell journaling <laughs> as he read through the Bible in a year. He just wrote every verse that had to do with the heart, and then he put them all into categories, and he's graciously let us have that. So look at that and use those tools. They're, they're the same thing for the heart in the New Testament and home categories and women in the Bible. So those are just really good resources. Um, the rest of the resources that are listed here, you won't have all of them right away. We'll get some of them as we go. They pertain to certain lessons that we'll get. And um, we will get a, a new um, songbook. That's one of these, right? Yeah, at the very bottom, number 30. We'll, we will be getting a new songbook for you guys, which will be coming out in the next few weeks meetings but those are really these are really good tools and we will be purposefully talking about them as we talk through the disciplines so you'll know how to use them and how they will help your quiet time um, with that hopefully I covered everything on the table of contents if you have stuff in your notebook and you're wondering what is this for please reach out to somebody we're going to have a minute, Janet. Did you have? Oh, yeah. We should talk about that. Um, did you guys print off homework and the with the outline? Hopefully, you printed off homework. Yes. Louder? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's why I'm surprised I'm up here, because I have a very quiet voice. But anyway, um, we're going to just talk about the homework really quick, because if you've never been in Wellspring before, it probably looks kind of different, and I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it. Um, it, it will always have three parts to it. There's a looking back section, which just talks about the lesson you just heard. And then there's a looking day by day section, which just encourages you in your time of, in the word each day. And it'll sometimes have things for you to look up on certain topics. It'll just be some encouragement for you to keep you in the word. Um, and then you'll always have the looking ahead, which will ask a question or give you a verse to look up to prepare you for what's coming next. Sometimes we'll have a looking deeper question, which you'll know what it is when it gets there, but it doesn't happen every time. 
every time we will try to have you encourage you to start with prayer and that's a key thing because we need to get our hearts focused on the right thing and not think that this is all about us but it's all about God what God wants us to see about him so don't skip that part um, and also when we encourage you to do your homework every week um, since the, the look ba- looking back question pertains to what you just heard some people like to do that right away while they're still remembering what they heard <laughs> um, you can always go back online and listen to it again but um, did I miss anything about the homework yeah with, with that said don't it's hard to do it the night before <laughs> Bethany was saying it's even if you just pull it out and read the questions and you'll have time to think it through it as the week goes on you can always fill them in the night before but it's really helpful if you have thought about it because they the, the intention of the homework is to help you thoughtfully intentionally think about what God's trying to show you about your heart and about these these disciplines so it's really a tool for you guys and right <laughs> you will d- turn this into your discussion leader each time we meet and some of you may think that's that's hard because you've just poured out your heart on this page but and that's not the intention to make you feel uncomfortable we want you to feel like someone is walking alongside you and if if it helps your discussion leader to get to know you better and know where you're at and pray for you and also to to just keep you on track it's not that we're gonna go and say you put down the wrong thing (laughs) but we want to just be able to help you and and walk alongside you and we can't do that if we don't because there's no way in our little short period of time that we have sometimes only 30 minutes for a discussion group to get all of this stuff out so it's just a helpful tool and so don't feel intimidated by that if you are please talk about it because it helps to talk about it I feel like I've rescued a lot of stuff and you guys will have questions as we go along so don't keep those to yourself yeah that's a helpful bookmark to have to in your quiet time to help you think through what you're doing in your time with the Lord